This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read verses 12 through 14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we uh, were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. It's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we want to approach it with humility, uh, with respect and with awe, and, and also with expectation that this is not an academic exercise. This is an opportunity for your spirit to speak uh, to us. And we just pray that that is happening through me, in spite of me, uh, instead of me, Lord, that you might speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. If the church is as divided as the world around us, that means that the church is reflecting the culture and not reflecting Christ. He says that the church uh, here is, is, is united, the church, you can't divide Jesus. And so I'll say it again, that if the church is more divided or as divided as the world around us, then that means that the church is not uh, a reflection of Christ, it's a reflection of the culture. And Paul, uh, knowing that, this book of Corinthians, this is our last week on these nine spiritual gifts here of this spiritual gifts, that this is him saying that, look, there's a lot of division going on. This whole book uh, of 1 Corinthians is about the divisions that, that are happening in this church that are 100% a problem because the culture of Rome, the culture of, of uh, Corinth, is, is actually seeping into the church instead of the church seeping into the culture, the exact opposite of what was meant to happen. And the challenges that they were having in this church were the same challenges that we have today. I think that our church in America, and let me be careful, by the way, when I say the church, people say that very uh, flippantly, okay? Uh, and we ought to know what we're talking about when we say that. When we say the church has this or the church has that, and you've got some blogger that's just really angry about, quote, unquote, the church, um, or hurt by the church. Let's be careful and exactly explain who we're talking about because the church in China is the church and they dwarf the church in America by about 100 million. Okay? The church in Africa is the church of Jesus Christ. Right? So when I say the church, I want you to know I'm speaking specifically of America, the Western American church. Not even European, but American church. And what we have seen in the last years is an increasing amount of the church looking like the culture, specifically as it relates to division inside of the churches across the board. And Paul 
writing to this church at Corinth, is giving an anecdote for them. He, he lays out, hey, here's where these divisions are starting. Here's how it's going and happening. And here is the anecdote for this, which is the Holy Spirit. The, the, we're all drinking from the same Holy Spirit. Whether you're slave or free, whether, whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, whether you're Republican or Democrat, like you're, you are all baptized by the same Holy Spirit instead of trying to get me to unite around your thing or me around you around my thing, let's unite around Christ, which transcends culture. See, in our modern context, there's a division. I don't know if you're aware of this. This might be a newsflash. It's been a little bit of a, a little bit of a division in the political world. Am I, am I right, people? <laughs> am I right? Am I right? A little bit of a division. That's what the world looks like. And what's happening in just the last year especially, it seems like it has been exacerbated, is division inside of church over leaders as well. It's no longer good enough just to say, well, look, I'm following what this guy's saying or following what this lady's saying. It's no longer good enough for that. I have to also say, but I'm not following that person. I'm rejecting all of that and I'm following this. Dividing us by leaders, that's what the world around us is doing. We're divided in our own culture. The culture itself is divided. And I speak outside of Christianity. There is no uniformity as it relates to specific areas of science, specific areas of, if you, if you were to just listen to the uh, uh, mainstream, I don't even call it mainstream media anymore, uh, you would think there's only one thought process, but th there's many thought processes out there. It's very divided in our country over cultural things, and now that has seeped into the church where we're now acting like the world, dividing over some of these same issues as opposed to uniting around Christ and allowing him to define it and bring the unity. And at the same time, in our culture, there is a division in our culture. The, the middle class has been effectively disappearing in the last few decades. I mean, in just the last year, the amount of wealth that was given to, spent on guys like Jeff Bezos. By the way, does it bother anybody else that the guy that owns Amazon.com also owns the Washington Post? Like, he literally had the ability to scare the bejesus out of everybody. And oh, by the way, while you're home, you can order all these things from me. <laughs> Was that convenient or what? <laughs> it seemed pretty convenient to me. Add 100 billion to his bottom line. Point is, it, that that's happening in our culture where there's a, a wealth divide that's happening. And in the church... Churches are doing a lot of the same thing where this church is in this part of town and this church is in this part of town and the churches are beginning to divide even on how do we respond to that. If this last year didn't teach us anything, it taught us that there was a division inside of American churches on how to properly respond to areas and, and issues as it relates to justice and racism in our world. And didn't it feel like a, like a trap? I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And it was, the division was infiltrating the church. Friends that were friends are no longer friends anymore. I know Michael said that it was going to be friends or friends forever, but he didn't know about 2020.
There's nothing new under the sun. These are the same problems that were happening in the church in Corinth. They were uniting around uh, the leaders, the emperor of Rome, or do you want to be Nero? Do you want to be like, they were all, they were very much culturally drawn into choosing their secular leaders. They were also very drawn into choosing their spiritual leaders, and I'll show you that in a minute. They were drawn into areas of cultural things. In one of these chapters coming up, he's actually going to address a, a, a very uh, complicated, shall we say, I guess there's children in here, complicated situation between a couple of people that uh, you and I would look at and go, oh, God, that's unsettling. But their culture said that was okay, and so there was a battle going on in that. And that their culture was trying to define areas of sexuality and morality for them. And then the last, and we talked about this a little bit last week in 1 Corinthians 11, that when they came to the table, the Lord's Supper, uh, they didn't have the little cheapo Lifeway apologies if you work for Lifeway. I don't mean that in any sort of disparaging way, but, but your communion is not as tasty as you'd want it to be. Um, it, we... we they didn't do their communion like this. There was a meal. And so he was challenging them on their way of the, of the people that had wealth that would come up to the Lord's supper, the table, the dinner, this love feast, and they would clean it out so that by the time people who had to work, people who didn't have anything showed up, there was no food left. And so he was challenging them in 1 Corinthians 11, not just over the Lord's supper of, of how to take the Lord's supper right, but discerning the body around them to make sure that everyone was taken care of in their church. Those three things, and you could probably find more in, in 1 Corinthians, but those were three issues where Paul says, you're, the culture is seeped into your church, and we need to get this out, and the way to do this is through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and I want to show you why I believe that. The, 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 the idea that they were divided over leaders, okay? In chapter uh, 1... He, he, he hits them right out of the gate. If you get your Bibles, uh, I would encourage you to open them today. I'm, I'm going to be reading a few things. And if, you, if you're an underliner, if you just want to look spiritual, you know, sometimes just underline something and people think you're, you know what I mean? If you're new to, if you're new to Christianity, that's how that works. <laughs> you look really spiritual. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of kidding with you. Maybe the Lord speaks to you and you can write it down and it has nothing to do with what I said. The Lord oftentimes will say something to you that I didn't say and you can take it home with you, so... But the, your, your Bibles are an important part of this. In chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, um, verse 12, he says, what I mean is this. He's speaking to this church. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which was, uh, I think, Aramaic or uh, Greek, but is, a, is another name for Peter. It's Peter. He's talking about Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. Uh, that's chapter one, verse 12. And if you go just one page over to chapter three, he's continuing this thought of choosing leaders and rejecting other leaders, not based on theology, I might have, but based on personality, based on calling, based on following, based on that and rejecting based on that. And he, he says that that is worldly, chapter three, verse three. You are still worldly for since there is jealousy, and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? And what is he talking about? The jealousy and, and, and the, the, the fighting about them in the worldly is, are you not acting? I love this line, by the way. Are you not acting like mere humans? 
Like we were never meant to be mere humans. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You are not a mere human, but acting like this is a mere human behavior. For one says I follow Paul and another I follow Apollos. Are you not being mere human beings? The devotion in our country is a devotion to specific leaders, politically speaking. We've seen it in a crystal clear way this past year. We say we're following science, but most times what we're following is whatever the politician that I believe in says was the science. Remember, science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things. Politicians say things. But in the culture now, we're, we're literally picking sides based on what this guy says this or this lady said that, and that's and then whatever they say really doesn't matter anymore. It's just that we're following that person. That seeping into the church is a very dangerous recipe. It looks like the world. It doesn't look like Christ. He goes on in chapter one and two. Is, is Christ divided? Are we going to chop him up and you pick this part of Jesus and I pick that part of Jesus and I reject this part and, and this part? And his answer for this division was not for them to get into a room and have a conference and talk about their ideas. The idea wasn't to, let's, let's debate these things and, and, and we'll meet in the middle somewhere. The answer was the Holy Spirit. You see, in chapter two of 1 Corinthians, he says this, when I came to you, verse one, I did not come to you with eloquence of words, with a well-crafted argument. I came to you, he said, in fear, in, in trembling, right? In power, the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't come to you with a well-crafted argument. I came to you with the power of, and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Once again, saying that's the anecdote to this problem. To, to the problem, if there is a division in our church locally, division in the church corporately, the answer isn't to come together and argue or tweet or blog, but to let the power of the Holy Spirit inform us through the word of God, focused on Christ. I told you I wanted you to get your Bibles out, right? If you go with me to the book of Acts, I'd love to show you something that spoke to me profoundly this week, especially as it relates to what we're talking about right now. Because in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens and the next stop is in Corinth. So this, I came to you, resolved to know nothing other than Christ crucified, like that, that, his, that came right after Athens. And so he shows up in Athens in chapter 17 of Acts. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I want to read just a couple of sentences. He, there was a group of uh, verse 18, 19, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. By the way, Stoicism is making a comeback in America right now. It didn't start on TikTok. It started in Greece. There, stoicism is a, it's a whole, if you, if you don't know anything about it, you're, you're just fine. But it's the brilliant thinkers, the philosophers of Greece that created this idea. And by the way, Paul, they call it ideas. Paul calls it a religion. 
He says, your religion is this, and they're thinking it's some philosophy, and he's like, no, that's a religion in this. But he goes on to say in verse 21, and this is really hilarious to me, that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing, listen to this, doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Does that sound familiar? Is that like literally like America in a sentence? Like people just sitting around listening to the latest ideas. That's who he's dealing with in Athens. And the more uh, sophisticated, the more educated they had become, that becomes their business model is I'm just going to sit around and think. Like that's my job is to think. In fact, some people, and if it's you, I don't mean anything pejorative about this. I don't think so. Uh, they they label themselves as their bios as I'm a thinker. I'm a, a thinker. Like, that's a job. Like, I'd love to have that job. But, um, but that's the people he's dealing with, okay? Now, he preaches a sermon here that has been studied by theologians for 2,000 years. He, he puts together a sermon that is like it's culturally relevant. He tells them, you've got these unseen gods and, and he's connecting the dots and speaking of the resurrection of the dead. He's, he's meeting them on their playing ground and preaches this sermon that is brilliant literature. Like it is brilliant. It's, like it's, there's a reason why people study it. But go with me to the end of chapter 17 and look at the response to this brilliant intellectually brilliant sermon. Verse 34, and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of Grubberubus, asparagus. If you squint your eyes just right, that looks exactly like asparagus. Also a woman named Damaris, and depending on your translation, a number of others, though the Greek word is just a few others. Listen, this is one of the best, most intellectually brilliant sermons ever preached, and no church was planted. There was no move of the Holy Spirit. There was no like giant move happening like on the book of Acts chapter 2. There was no... I would like to suggest to you that the reason was, was Paul might have impressed them, but he did not impact them. And then he goes to Corinth, and maybe in Corinth, with this in mind, that he just, I mean, he just laid it all out there. I gave it all I had, and it was a giant dud that he comes to them and says, but when I came to you at Corinth, I resolved to know nothing other than Christ and him crucified. I came to you in fear and in trembling. I came to you with nothing but the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. There was no blog. There was no writing. There is no crafted argument that can do what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in the hearts and the souls of men and women. It's not lost on me that the sentence that he uses there after this amazing sermon was they became followers of Jesus. They became followers of Paul. I wonder if the better we are as preachers, 
the less they're following Jesus and the more they're following the preachers. There's some great preachers out there. I mean, I would give my left arm to be T.D. Jakes. You know who that is? Right? I mean, that dude for an hour can just mop the floor with it. People are like, you might be wrinkling your nose because it's theology. Let's, let's let that aside. I'm just saying he's just really good at what he does. He's got a skill set. How about that? <laughs> the point is, the skill at that, the danger, the better you are at the skill of communicating, the more likely they are to become a follower of Darren and not a follower of Jesus. So when you go back to the challenge that they had in this church at Corinth was, this one said, I follow Peter. The others say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Paul. And some say, well, I follow Jesus. And how, do you, how many of you know that can be just as divisive of a statement, right? I, I don't go to church anywhere. I just follow Jesus. I, like, that's not a unifying statement. Sometimes, that, sometimes it's meant as division. And what Paul is saying here is none of that is going to fly in the kingdom of God because that is the culture that is not Christ. I mean, Paul... If you were to look at his Romans 12 life gift, most likely it would be a prophecy, like the visionary. That you think he might have hurt some feelings over the years. Uh, the bulldozer that he is, right? Uh, I, the week we were in Haiti, I, the guy that we've been working with for 15, 16 years, Lafleur, that's who he is. And I assure you, he has hurt some feelings over the years. Not the least of which have been mine. I'm like, well, that was mean. Why'd you say that? It hurt my feelings. But that gift of his, of a bulldozer gift means that he's going to just press through because he sees what's there. And because he's a human, he's not going to do it perfectly all the time. And then he comes up to Peter. He brings up Peter. And if you read in Galatians chapter 2, Peter was uh, one of the, he was with Jesus. And Peter was called an apostle to the uh, Jews. Paul was called an apostle to Gentiles. And Peter uh, had a little, a little problem because, because he was going with the Jewish people and that's where he was. He was telling Gentile people that you have to be circumcised to become a Christian. Now that's not a very compelling selling point to an invitation to church. Imagine that on your Easter postcard mailing. <laughs> I'm not going to a church. You're going to be handing out complimentary circumcisions on the front lawn. Like, like, like if you're a follower of Paul, I'm like, I don't, I want to follow Peter. You know what he wants to do to me? I got no end with that. And by the way, Paul and Peter came together, Galatians 2. It says that they had, I think it's no small disagreement. It's basically they had a screaming match. It's King James. Um, because the gospel was being watered down and they had a, but, but my point is, is that he didn't kick Peter to the curb just because he got something wrong. And, and if anybody could have said, Paul could have like, like centralized his power to say, look, you know what Peter wants to do to you guys. You don't want to go to his church. Come to my church. He didn't do that at all. He, he elevated him to say, no, he's called to do this. He is called to be an apostle to the, uh, to the Jews. I'm to the Gentiles. When that happens, your calling sometimes will get confused. And what happens a lot, I think most times, when somebody says something, 
on a, whether it's on television or from a sermon. I mean, good Lord, I say dumb stuff every day. And, and if it were broadcast, you know, God only knows what, you know, I, stuff I didn't mean to say. But when you're in the spot like that, like that, sometimes somebody says something and so everybody gets up in arms and says, well, that guy's he's mean, he's not nice. It just happened and look, I'm gonna say a name. We're not broadcasting. I don't know what you guys think of Dave Ramsey. Some people like him, some people don't like him. He said a couple of things that maybe I would have said differently, maybe you would have said differently. But what ends up happening is a witch hunt where people then are now calling him a wolf, saying, You got to, we can't follow him anymore. Nobody was praying for him on Twitter. They're just crucifying him. Like the tweets came, and it's like, I, all I know is that he follows Jesus too, and maybe he follows differently. Maybe he's got a different spiritual gift than I do. But let's not let the culture tell us how to deal with each other in the body of Christ. That was a very soothing. <laughs> was that Helen? Oh, oh, of course it was David, I'm sorry. I kind of wanted it to be Helen because it would have been funnier, but David, it actually, David, it made sense. Um, <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> it was a little bit of a disarming moment in a series. I needed, I needed that because I've, I've been a little grumpy the first two services, so I'm trying to like level off. Um, Apollos was a teacher. He had a different gift than what Paul had a different gift than what Peter had, a different calling than what each of them had. I'm not saying that, like, in our world, Michael Easley, he probably would be Apollos in that, and Doc Easley, he's spoken here before. We love Doc Easley. We send people there all the time because that's the gift that they have, that, that he has there. We've got our thing here. One is not right, one is not wrong. It's a different expression, a different calling, a different spiritual gift. That's why the power of the Holy Spirit is so important for us here. Because I will say this, there are those that we then have to, if, if we're busy fighting each other over callings, over giftings, then we're distracted from, well, from things like that, what happened even just this past week when um, the New Yorker wrote an article on uh, Glennon Doyle. Do you know who that is? Um, honesty gospel, which was uh, ironic at best. Um, but this writer, this blogger, and at some point halfway through the, uh, this thing, she's, she says that my version of Jesus in my day would be a black trans, um, she had one other word, identity with it, and, and that was like what she thought Jesus should be. And here she is cutting off pieces, and I want Jesus to be this, and I want Jesus to be that. Like that is true heresy, and we're busy splitting hairs over whether someone was mean or not. Like we, we definitely have got to get our crap together as a church and know that, that there is a real battle out there for truth. There's a real battle out there. And we get to be a part of being the light in the city on a hill for it. And if, you know, we need to pray for her. We need to pray that the, the, the truth uh, is in her heart. But at the same time, know that we're busy throwing rocks at each other when there's some stuff out there that's pretty complicated when it comes to Jesus leaders. We, Paul makes it, or John makes it really easy. And I'm, this will be the last thing I'll say about this. Here's how we know. 
if someone is with us or against us. Chapter 4 of 1 John, he says, The spirit of Antichrist is this. Anyone who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ... If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the the resurrected, the the Messiah, if you don't believe that, okay, that is the spirit of Antichrist. Anti meaning in place of Christ. That is someone that we wouldn't invite to teach. That's not somebody we're going to be supporting if any of those worlds. But I promise you, Dave Ramsey believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, crucified, resurrected on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold. And maybe he's meaner than you are, but he loves Jesus. And if you're mad about it, maybe just pray for him. Because you know what? They're coming for you, and they're coming for me. And I want to, you know that I've got your back. I'll be praying with you, standing beside you. Jesus is there. So that's enough of that. Let's, I've got to curry now. Dog on it. Y'all look very hungry. (laughs) Maybe it's me. (laughs) Divided over culture, united over Christ. They were divided over their leaders, right? But they were united back over the callings and the giftings. The divided over culture was simply this. That you, uh, let's do verse, uh, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and I'll start in verse 19. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. If our culture right now says that, uh, let's say like right now we're hearing a lot of is that science is our, our thing, like that's the big thing. And what have we learned in the last year? Science doesn't say anything, scientists do. So who do I follow now? Which scientist gets to be this? And the wisdom of this world, of science, this world, is moving in a direction that says, I've got I've got three daughters. I love them. And if they're competing in an athletic event, I don't want them competing against a man. That sets back women's rights a hundred years. But that's the wisdom of this world because the wisdom of this world, the more I sit around and think about the latest ideas like Epicurean, the more wise I become and the more foolish I become. And I begin to say things like, it's okay that a man dressed as a woman can fight in an MMA cage against other women, and that even though winning every fight, that, we, that that isn't weird. That's the wisdom of this world. Now, do we hate them? No, we're praying for them. But we're allowed to know that the truth is here in the word of God, and the reason why we need the Holy Spirit in us is that a government mandate, and there's been a lot of talk this last week about uh, legislation, bills being passed that would force churches to, uh, to, to, to calm some of that stuff. And if we don't, we, we will lose our tax uh, status. And I just want you to hear me say out loud, good, come and get it. We'll lose our tax status all day long. But, I like third service. First service went, <gasps> no, I'm just kidding, went that. But, but here's why this is important, though. I, I mean this, that the culture of, if we're going to let culture decide, because that's what's happening. Science is not deciding that. Culture is deciding that. And now I don't know whose culture gets to win. See, a, a few years ago, the Methodist church, there was a giant fissure in the middle of the Methodist church over the, tra- the, the definition of marriage and whether it would be traditional or whether it would be changed. And... It was very close, but what carried the vote to the Methodist denomination to, to maintain a traditional uh, definition of marriage was the African church. And there was a pastor in 
Kansas City of a fairly large church that said, well, maybe we should cut off our funding to the Africans. And a Rwandan African uh, Methodist preacher said, we're not going to sell our soul for 30 pieces of silver. You can keep it. Our culture is going to pretend to tell their culture now? How arrogant, how white privilege is that? Or what if we decide now China gets to be, their culture gets to be the one that tells us. China has a culture, China has a billion people. China has three million of them in prison camps right now being tortured, being re-educated. They're Muslims, they're not Jesus people, but they're humans and they're God's people. And a politician this week, our president, when asked about it, said, he's, this is a pretty, I think that's a kind of an easy question, if I'm being honest, but he, he sort of stumbled and said something about it being like, well, the culture, and, and dadgummit, if that's the culture of China, that doesn't get to win, and we don't get to say that that culture is right. And, and by the way, in, in the word of God, like we can go back to this in the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and say that th- there is nowhere in the word of God that you can ever justify imprisoning three million people, ever. That's why Christ trumps culture. And the third thing is this, and I'm circling the airport here. They were divided just like we are in America over class, but they were united by communion. The wealth and the distribution, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, races. And our answer right now in our culture has been to protest, to burn things down, to rise up, to like that's been part of the culture here of, of, of that. And what Paul was saying to them, he wasn't saying go out and protest in the streets of Corinth. He was saying as a church, you are going to do this differently because you in chapter 11 are going to around the Lord's Supper. You're going to discern the body of Christ. Literal body, broken, blood, shed, and the figurative body of Christ sitting around you. Those who came, who had no money, and now they have nothing to eat because guys like me showed up and couldn't wait, and I cleaned out the buffet. And he's saying, look, if you're that hungry, eat when you're at home, but when you come here, make sure that the people who don't have anything are taken care of. His answer to that over the, the, divide, the vision, over class, over wealth, over those things, was not getting angry. It was a, literally go back to the body of Christ, go back to the table, go back to communion for it. Now, those are three things that I see in here. There are more in the book of Corinthians But every one of them had one thing in common, and that was the culture of Corinth seeping into the church instead of the church seeping into the culture. And the only way that Paul sees, he he, he said, I tried it in Athens, didn't work so good. But in Corinth, and it's fun to kind of bust their chops with 1 Corinthians, but if you get to 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about them as a radically generous church. He talks about them as a church that was making an impact on the world around them. He says, I have told people of your faith. I have told people of how generous you are. This church, because of the Holy Spirit, became a powerful church in that region and that area. Now, when we go back to the nine gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 where we all started, those nine gifts there are simply a manifestation of the Holy Spirit punching through the supernatural into 
the natural. And when you live in a complicated time, you're going to need some words of wisdom. You're going to need some words of knowledge. You're going to need some miracles. You're going to need courage. You're going to need the ability to see something happen like happens in Pakistan when one of my buddies preaches and somebody gets out of a wheelchair and says that Jesus is Lord and not Allah. That goes over pretty good. That, because what he said here was, if I came to you with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, now you're not going to be dependent on man's wisdom, but on faith in God. That's what we need in our world. And you might think, that's great, Darren. I don't know how to do any of that. I've spent this last year listening to people, listening to myself say, I'm, I'm really uncertain right now. I don't know how this goes. I don't know where this ends. I I don't know how this escalates. I'm afraid. I'm uncertain. I'm trembling. I'm, and I want you to know that that means that you, if that's you, are a perfect candidate to be filled with the spirit of God. And here's why. What did Paul say when he came to Corinth? I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, which is amazing because he was a wise and persuasive guy. And I laid that behind in exchange for the Holy Spirit, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Many of us over the years have prayed to be filled with the Spirit without praying to be emptied of the world. I'm asking God to fill me with the Spirit, but my vessel is already full. And emptying of that might be for you. I'm no longer going to get worked up over what's happening in my political thing. I can't. It's crushing my soul anyway. The gift that my Haitian friends give me... (laughs) They're not hoping anything in their government. People are being kidnapped by the dozen down there. And I asked LaFleur, like, what does it feel like to not be able to call 911? Nobody's coming for you. There is no 911. There's no government stimulus check. They opted out of the pandemic back in March because they're like, I have a 99% chance of surviving coronavirus and I have a 100% chance of dying of starvation. A direct quote from one of my friends and they just kept going to work. They had no other choice. But their hope isn't in their government. Their hope isn't in science. Their hope isn't in a police department. Their hope isn't in the blessings. Their hope is only in Jesus. We are in a place where our country, we are so blessed that I put my hope in my blessings and not in the blesser. And today, maybe today, ask yourself, where can I start emptying myself that I might be filled with the Spirit Because as I'm filled with the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, amazing things happen. You can't fill a full vessel. Empty it. Empty your fears. 
empty. All I, that's all Paul's saying. I came to you. Because what? remember, if you read chapter 18, he's saying like, you get, they were beating him. They were opposing him. They were kicking him out of town. At one point, he's just angry. I'm done with y'all. Like He's just overwhelmed with the whole thing. And at that point, maybe was the moment where he finally said, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do this. And a church in Corinth was born. This week, today, begin to ask the Lord where he can empty you so that you might be filled not with more fascinating ideas with the power the demonstration of the Holy Spirit God wants to do amazing things in this culture he wants to do amazing things in this church and a politician that is full of the Holy Spirit Somebody, people in this room, full of the Holy Spirit, full of Jesus, full of wisdom, full of power, and you go run for school board? Absolutely. But you do that without the Holy Spirit, and you are a sitting duck. I truly believe in that this coming age, I would love to see all of us out there doing to engage in our community, but not from a place of argument, but from a place of power of the Holy Spirit. I've got to get you out of here. I'm sorry. Stand to your feet. Let's feed your children. <laughs> Kids, I'm sorry. Mom's going to let you buy dessert at lunch. Well, I don't have to keep that promise. Hey, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, <laughs> oh, Lord, let us be filled with your spirit today. Empty us, empty us, empty us. Empty us of our fears, empty us of our desires, empty us of our wisdom, and fill it with your wisdom. Fill it with your power and your presence and your spirit and your courage. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.